has goalie controversy made its way to Toronto yet again. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the episode 10 of the Leafs Line podcast. I am your host, Mario Russo, and joining me once again is Aiden McCullough and Michael Iaboni. Yet again, we have a jam-packed episode as the Leafs take on the Canucks as we are shooting this episode. Uh, up one nothing midway through the second. But we're getting into Jack Campbell's poor play and Riddick stepping up. What's the problem with Jack and what needs to be fixed? The Leafs lineup has been playoff tested. Thursday against the Jets uh, saw Matthews and Nylander out respectively. What is this going to mean if the Leafs have to face this adversity come the postseason? And who would you want to face come the postseason? It's a different beast, as we always know. And the Habs, who the Leafs are most likely to play, uh, in the first round of the playoffs, are usually pretty dominant and are getting even more dominant with the addition of Eric Gustafson on that decor. What that means for the Habs and if the Leafs have the more favorable matchup against their biggest rival. Making its debut on the show is the Start Bench Cut segment. Now, it's a pretty popular segment amongst any show, but we're going to make its debut in respect to the Maple Leafs lineup come playoff time. And who has had the biggest impact with their new club? After a week of trading, everyone, or many players in this league, have found new, uh, new scenery uh, in different parts of the league. Who has made its biggest impact, and what does this mean for both the player and their club? And their Canucks, they have a long stretch of games, recently, as of right now, uh, making their first appearance since late March. Uh, they play 19 games in 30 days. Will the team be ready both mentally and physically for this challenge? And can they even get it done in that span? And finally, Patrick Marlowe's milestone, the former Maple Leaf tying Gordie Howe for the most games played in NHL history. Once again, we're going to get into how this record stacks up to any other record in the National Hockey League. And as always, we promise our biggest hot takes for the upcoming stretch of the season, as well as Aiden's fantasy rankings for the upcoming week, which for many brings up playoff hockey in the fantasy world. To kick the straw off, we're going to start off with the Campbell-Riddich debate here. After seeing his name under the win column for 11 straight games, Jack Campbell has struggled to say the least just a week after his historic run. In his last two starts, Campbell has allowed six goals on 27 shots, most notably eyeing his first in-game trip to the bench following an ugly start against the Jets on Thursday, in which he surrendered three straight goals. Much of this is dismay can be credited to both the special teams of the Maple Leafs and the team in general in regards to their lack of defensive play. The Leafs in the last 16 games, and it keeps getting worse with the game being played right now, have been outscored 12-3 to on special teams, which has played a large part in the team's recent three-game skid, and are 0-8 on the man advantage during that span, a 1-41 over the last 20 games. In specific to the team's last contest against the Jets, the Muzzin Hall parent has combined for a negative four on that night, and we're on the ice for each of the Jets' three straight goals that came in less than a minute. It's hard for Campbell to do anything successful when he's got to deal with his own team. However, there is one aspect of Campbell's game that I find uh, remains consistent in each of his losses, and it's something that really worries me. And I do think it should concern others and others of the least faithful. It is without a doubt that Campbell has been dominant over this entirety of the season, and an 11-2 record simply doesn't lie. Campbell has sparked, sparked the chatter for the playoffs and the following season, as to who will start between the pipes come opening night. But one thing Campbell has and continues to do is fail to tend his demons, if you will, getting himself together following a loss. I don't believe Campbell wasn't a starter in teams prior uh, in respect to his career due to his skill and play on the ice. That's, that, that, he's always had that. But his wits and the mindset and anything between the ears uh, that steadily cons- consists in his game it's just been the problem for him. Mr. Nice Guy on the ice and in the dressing room, as he's known to Leafs media and his teammates alike. It's just, he's just too hard on himself, so to speak, uh, following his failures, no matter the size. And I believe it will cost him possibly in the wrong run, uh, especially in his career. And unfortunately, possibly for this Maple Leafs team come playoff time, if he is the starting goaltender. Uh, David Riddich, uh, a more experienced tender of the goal, has been thrown into the fire, so to speak, during his early tenure with the Blue and White, uh, already seeing the ice in two consecutive games. Uh, the former Flame, who was marked as the team's backup for the foreseeable future, has taken an overtime loss to his former team and only allowed one goal while relieving Campbell's duties for a period and a half against the Jets where the Leafs just looked horrible. Uh, the way-too-early return on David Rich has looked relatively well, 
making the best of his situation here in Toronto. But uh, I'll ask you guys this, and I'll start with you, Iboni. Uh, what are your thoughts on Campbell's recent play? And do you think British will have any, any role, either in regards to the future success or failure of this team? And this is the, maybe the biggest question I'm going to ask you. Will goalie controversy be another topic for debate come a week's time? Um, so I'm going to start with the first one you asked. Um, Campbell's recent play, uh, if you're a Leafs fan, definitely concerning. In his last five, he only has one performance that is above a 900. However, he does have three out of the five wins. Uh, he seems to be making it work and finding these ways to win. Although in his last two, you can see that he has obviously struggled having a uh, save percentage under 700. Sorry, under 800. Uh, definitely concerning for a Leaf player, whereas the defense is not as much as the problem, whereas Jack Campbell needs to be stepping up to make his saves that are generally saves that he can make and prove that he can make in the past. Uh, whereas Riddick is concerned, Riddick has been quite amazing since joining the Leafs organization. Not too, too much experience, but definitely stepping in and producing some pretty decent numbers. Not a win on the season yet, but definitely allowing the Leafs to compete and stay in the game and give them opportunities to, to win. Uh, goaltender controversies, I'm not sure if there's going to be one. Uh, when or if Anderson comes back, and I still don't believe that he will. Um I, I don't think that there's going to be much of a controversy. I think it's going to be you have a number one, you have a number two. They're going to either be like a 70-30 or a 50-50 or gem, generally splitting time of some sort, not just having a goalie play the second half of a back-to-back. And then you're going to have a goalie that's the oddball out until he gets an opportunity again when another goaltender isn't doing that so hot. So I don't know if the goaltending situation is really back into an effect right now, but... Uh, I definitely see that uh, we do have three NHL caliber goaltenders that have potential to all be starting goaltenders, and I don't see a problem with that at all. As Leafs have number numerous options uh, in the blue paint. Yeah, and it's never a bad option. We mention this all the time uh, with other teams. Never a bad option to have uh, too many uh, great goaltenders. Obviously, Anderson, he stepped on the ice, I believe it was last week for the first time, getting his reps in. He should be ready, not come playoff time, but maybe a little further into the playoffs. So take that in. If you're going to go deep in the playoffs, as we've mentioned so, so many times in this show, and that what's anticipated from the squad, uh, Freddie, having Freddie, uh, Campbell, and Riddich, and just in case this is you're keeping it way in your back pocket, uh, beside the lint balls and all that, uh, Michael Hutchison, who he has had his moments where he can uh, shine with this blue and white squad. And you mentioned Jack Campbell in his last few starts, obviously not being the most uh, greatest starts of his career, and nowhere near does it compare to his historic run that just happened a week ago, uh, but finding ways to win. And that's one of the biggest things that a lot of general managers struggle to find in a starting goaltender or any goaltender, quite frankly, is one of the biggest say, uh, biggest things to have in the blue paint. And uh, he, you did mention that Campbell does have a poor save percentage over that span. And this uh, this type of play... It's all about a streak, right? In the playoffs, you're playing a game every uh, two days or every three days. It comes fast and it goes by quickly. You're done. A, you could be done a playoff series in a week or just over that. And uh, you need to have a good save percentage and good stat line uh, going into that because you know, as we always mention, especially with the Leafs going to probably face the Habs, uh, they're going to get you on both the offensive side, and if they do, they're going to shut you down more than ever. And they're always known to be stepping up in the playoffs. And they have the goaltending. And you look at Carey Price. He's the, this is something that Jack Campbell, I think, should aim towards being. Jack, uh, Carey Price is always solid in the playoffs and always puts up great numbers. And is always standing on his head for his club when they can't score. And that's been uh, a big problem for Montreal come playoff time. But they tend to lock you down and uh, really wear you down. And I think Campbell, to have playoff success or any playoff success, he has to keep that save percentage consistent. And ultimately, like you said, find ways to win. Now I'm going to turn this question over to you, Aiden. Uh, do you think there is a goalie controversy uh, brewing with the uh, great play? I guess you could say David Riddich, obviously a short sample size, but he has got what he has done. We had to get done. Uh, do you think goalie tr- controversy is brewing again here in Toronto? And uh, if you can give me your thoughts on Campbell's uh, poor uh, stretch of games. 
Uh, I don't think Campbell's been that awful, uh, but definitely he's not playing at the same level as he was before. Uh, I don't think that level of play was sustainable really from Campbell or from any goalie for that matter. I think it was bound to happen that either he has an off night or the team has an off night or the bounces just don't go their way. I think uh, last game especially, he didn't really get enough defensive help, which led to him being pulled really early. As we saw from the two bad pinches by uh, Muzzin, which both resulted in goals. But overall, I don't think the numbers have really told the whole story recently for Campbell. I mean, there's been a few shots I thought he could have stopped or uh, deflected away from the net. But uh, other than that, I think he's mostly all the things that have gone wrong for him have mostly been out of his control. So I wouldn't get too caught up in this whole goalie controversy especially if you think of uh, what happened to Freddie in the sense that he had a few horrid games before they actually said that you need to go get some rest and we're going to be putting Campbell as the main starter. So I think going forward, you definitely got Jack as number one. Uh, for number two and three, I think Freddie will be two. I think they'll give him a game or two just to see where he's at when he comes back from injury. I think you start Riddick at three, but if he starts to outperform Freddie, I think we might be seeing a Jack Campbell, uh, David Riddick tandem for the playoffs, which I honestly don't mind that much. Yeah, it's definitely not that bad of an option. And uh, you, like you said, uh, it's, it's sort of hard to pick apart a Jack Campbell too bad uh, after he puts a historic start. Obviously, his last three starts aren't going to look as good as what he's we're used to seeing, at least, uh, from him throughout this year. And you did mention uh, Freddie probably being, you said, the uh, number two starter. Uh, if if you, you mentioned him getting a couple games in, uh, I don't know if you meant prior to the playoffs, but uh, he is on LTIR. So I'm, I'm just kind of, from a least perspective, I'm finding it hard to make sense of what they're going to try to do with Freddie since they can't really give him a practice start since he's put on LTIR. And if they were to take him off LTIR, there'd, be, there'd have to be uh, quite a few... Uh, cap problems and uh, some transactions that Dubas have to make on his end and his team as well. So uh, I don't know. Do you think he'd make a start uh, prior to the playoffs and see how he is there? Because obviously you don't want to throw uh, Freddie into the fire come game one, game two, game three of a least versus half series. Cause you know, if you drop one of those games uh, and Freddie gets a hook, the team, the environment around the team, the energy around the team is going to be in the gutter and uh, you can just easily fall apart in this whole series. And, at least they're back to square one. So do you think that Freddie's going to get a uh, an, a few starts before the year? And if so, how is that going to play out with his LTIR space? I think Freddie's going to get the start in the playoffs, not in not at the end of the season. I think the team really doesn't want to risk Freddie being injured anymore. So they're going to give him even more time than he needs to heal from his injury. I think you'd probably put him in maybe a like a game six or maybe not even the game six, where you have a comfortable lead in uh, in a series where you, where even if you do drop the game, you still have another chance at it. I think that's the time you put Freddie in just to see where he's at, like I said before. But I definitely think, like you said, you don't want to start him in, in the playoff series or any of the early games. Yeah, and I was going to ask you that same question, but you clearly answered it. When would you put Freddie in? When would the time be for his arrival? And uh, – I think it's best to suit him for if you're up, maybe you say you're up 3-1 in the series, you can afford to drop a game. Uh, you can give him a game or two there in that end and in that respect. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just ask you this question before I turn it over to uh, our next topic here in the show. Uh, but where would you throw Freddie in? Would it be the first round or would you even hold him out to the second round? Or would you just do what, like Aiden said, maybe throw him in when the team has a more respectable league, lead in the series? Uh, I wouldn't play him. Uh, if everyone's rolling, if everyone's rolling, we're getting wins. Don't play him. If we're losing and we're down two zero, play him. Uh, simple as that. I don't know if there's any other thing. He's not getting a regular season game. There's just no way they're working it through the cap unless we decide to place someone on waivers, which would be completely unlikely. I don't think we're ever going to be doing that. Um, but uh, I don't think he plays a game until we're screwed down two zero in a series, because then obviously. Uh, whoever the starter is is not working. You're down 2-0. Regardless if you're playing good or not, you're not getting it done. Uh, so you either see him in that situation or you see him in a situation where 
we are absolutely blown ahead. It's a 3-0 lead. And you're like, sure, what the hell? But if you're in a 2-0 or 2-1, you don't play him. I don't care. Your goaltender's on a run. You leave him in. You support your goaltender. Freddie, you could sit on the sidelines, support as much as you want. Uh, I just don't see it as a realistic possibility to even try to throw Freddie into a game if your goaltender is rolling. Yeah, and momentum is the biggest thing in uh, the playoffs. I mean, you, obviously, you need 16 wins, right, to uh, become a champion. And uh, many wins, we saw this with the St. Louis Blues, a Cinderella story, uh, just torrid stretch of games come playoff time. Uh, and many teams have the same stretch of games as well when they're just – they can't be beaten. They're always riding a hot goaltender. We saw it with Washington – uh, when they won the cup, I believe it was Grubauer or one of the two Grubauer or Holtby. Yes. One of them was the starter. I think it was Grubauer early on Grubauer. and uh, he just couldn't get it done. He had a magnificent season. So de- de- definitely different in respect to Toronto. Freddie hasn't had too great of a season, but come playoff time, he just struggled. He went on a cold streak and they rode the hot goaltender in uh, uh, Holtby, who was the backup at that time. And he got it done and he ended up winning a cup and bring it to his hometown. So I, I can see it that way, too. I think that would be the best option. But if Freddie absolutely needs some time, I think we could also agree with Aiden's option as well. But finally getting off the goalie uh, debate, as we've always been discussing and always seems to appear on this show, we're going to make it to the Leafs lineup. Now, Maple Leafs fans retreated to an unlikely set of lines this week, most notably against the Winnipeg Jets in the absence of their two stars in Austin Matthews and Willen Nylander. Matthews, who is just demolishing the competition as of late, was sidelined from Thursday's matchup due to a wrist injury that uh, shouldn't keep him out for long. Obviously, we're doing the shooting the video right now. Him and Nylander are uh, on the ice, and Matthews actually has a power play goal, ending primarily ending that first drought that they were on, and now ending the second drought that they have been on with the power play being a totally different mess and a totally different can of worms that I don't want to open up because I really don't want to start screaming on this show and lose my voice. However, uh, Nylander... Uh, he still lied on the league's protocol. He obviously got it off now. And filling in the holes was 19-year-old Nick Robertson, Adam Brooks, and even Scott Sabrin, who I just wish I am never, ever going to see in a Maple Leafs uniform. Uh, it's just not a fit for me. And uh, he just kind of looks like Kevin Hayes. So it's uh, something to look out for here. But uh, he's not known for his offensive prowess, and he received a fighting major uh, in his debut with the Leafs against the Flames earlier in the week. But uh, it looks as though at the time of shooting – Obviously, uh, Nylander, and the team's perfectly at full health. Uh, I haven't been really paying too much attention, but I'm not too sure if Hyman's back yet. He took a nasty hit to the knee, hoping he's back, obviously, with the team just getting healthy. Uh, it would be so leaf-like for a guy to go down in a game like this against the Canucks squad that hasn't played in nearly a month. But uh, the addition of Nick Felino as well, who's coming this week, and maybe a possible sighting of Ben Hutton, uh, both of which able to make their respective debuts with the club coming this week. So it's probably looking to be a full healthy team for the Maple Leafs come the stretch. But the big question that I thought should definitely be asked was how this lineup would perform in a playoff type atmosphere with guys on this magnitude and this effect, guys like Matthews, Nylander, Marner, one of those star players, maybe even a Hyman if you want to throw them in there. Uh, with them absent, how would Toronto as a franchise uh, act in the absence of the those star players. Now, Toronto's always uh, had the reputation of playing con- uh, competitive and meaningful hockey in the absence of their stars. Uh, you, for example, Austin Matthews, the team's 3-1 this year without him. And guys like Mitch Marner, who mainly this year have really stepped up, Nylander, Tavares, uh, stepping up on a massive point streak uh, currently. And they've always filled the void to make it seem typically unnoticeable that guys are missing. Uh, but with a couple of guys like, say, a Marner or Tavares go down the playoffs, what will happen with this team is the big question. Now, Dubas and company have been preparing for this for months now, as a deep playoff run is more than anticipated and, frankly, expected from this squad, uh, bringing in pieces uh, such as Felino and is dated back as Thornton, who uh, was acquired last offseason and could potentially uh, fit into a stepping-up role. Very unlikely but could potentially fit into a role where he has to step up for some key players. Obviously, he could play on that first line. Uh, but the question still lies, how far is the team able to push through adverser, adversary? Uh, this small stretch of games in which the lineup has been far from complete has not delivered the greatest of signs. But I want to pick your brains here, and I'm going to start with you, Aiden, for this topic. Uh, this topic is obviously less discussed, and it's merely expected from this group uh, to step up and be a next guy up mentality when big guys go down. But uh, how do you think this team will handle handle uh, playoff injuries and diversity 
fingers crossed if it comes, if it does not come rather. But if this were to come, uh, how do you think the Maple Leafs would respond and how effective would they be in that response? Uh, I think just to start off, the, the veterans just in the room will definitely help out with the playoff adversary, that adversity. I mean, you have guys like uh, Joe Thornton who have been made it to the Stanley Cup playoffs themselves. And I think they should be able to teach some of the younger players about what it's like to go all the way and go down the hard stretch of games in the playoffs. I think injuries have been an ongoing theme for the Leafs forward core throughout the season. So I think they should be able to handle that quite easily, either by moving someone up the lineup or bringing someone into the lineup. I'm a little bit more worried about the defense since they haven't really faced any injuries other than the one Muzzin injury, if I'm not mistaken, to his face. So if a guy were to get injured, yes, they can swap someone in like Hutton, Sandin, or Lilligren, but two of those three guys haven't seen consistent time in the NHL, so I'm a little skeptical about that. Yeah, and obviously uh, the depth uh, is a beat that keeps going on in respect to the Maple Leafs. Uh, Dubis brought in, like you said, Ben Hutton. Just in case a guy like uh, Jake Muzzin, TJ Brody, or even Travis Dermott uh, were to go down, uh, come uh, come a deep playoff run. And uh, I think the Leafs have done a great job this year uh, making their way through adversary. Obviously, we saw with the absence of Simmons, he was one of the bigger ones who was on a, a really good hot streak for his age and uh, for his uh, set of offensive talent. Uh, shooting pucks in left, right, and center. We saw it with uh, Simmons, Matthews, uh, a bit of time with uh, Hyman. Uh, the list goes on with the, ma- the amount of times. And their goalies. Freddie has been gone for mo- almost the entirety of this year and has played horrible when he's been here. So at least I've had to go through one of the bigger positions to fill in respect to the goaltending position. Uh, but I'm going to turn this one over to you, Iboni. The Leafs have proven that they've done it in the season, but can they get it done in the postseason where it matters? Um, I'm not, I, I want to say yes. Uh, if, if an injury happens to go down, uh, the depth pieces are definitely there. They just need to step up in a big, big role. Whereas if like one of your top six forwards falls, like a Tavares or like a Marner, you don't have someone really that can step up into that top six. You have a Thornton who can play there and, try to maintain it, but you don't have that production coming into the lineup. Um, I, I personally think that they can manage to scrape by, but if they're facing a um, detrimental, offensively gifted team, then they're going to be struggling and they're going to have to really, really rely on everywhere to get production from everywhere. And then they're going to need their defense to step up and their goaltending to step up. Everything needs to be intact. You need to have everyone playing as a group. You cannot have one player just go out, go score all my goals. You need to have that team collective where where one person falls, the team comes together and rises up to fill that absence. Now, you mentioned, uh, say, a guy on the top six. You mentioned uh, you, you threw Tavares' name in the hat as an example. Now, I want to ask you this question. Aiden, please feel free to chime in as well if you feel the need to. Uh, Nick Robertson. Okay, uh, I've been kind of uh, throwing this in my brain a lot, picking at it. Uh, Nick Robertson, obviously, he made his debut with the club uh, this season earlier. And I think it was the second game. He ended up getting hurt, knee injury, uh, and has re- rehabilitating ever since. Recently coming back this week, getting playing time with the squad. And in this game that we're watching right now, the Canucks, uh, playing on that second line, uh, the top six line, of course. And uh, playing with John Tavares and all those guys. Do you think Nick Robertson, obviously... Do you want to uh, start by saying your uh, thoughts with him so far this season? And do you think if come playoff time, obviously he played last in the play-in series last season against the Blue Jackets and was uh, all right. I mean, he played very low minutes, so we couldn't see the full potential of Nick Robertson. But do you think a guy like Nick Robertson would be the perfect slot on that top six role if a guy like Tavares or Nylander were to go down? And uh, do you think he has what it takes to uh, make it in the playoff type atmosphere? Is directly yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, I, I, he reminds me a lot of Patan, Nick Robertson, whereas he gets the offensive opportunities and he's got the speed. Like, Patan has underrated speed, and so does Robertson. Robertson is a really fast, lanky player, but he's also good around the boards and has really good edges and can make his turns and make plays happen. 
but he doesn't have the finishing touch. And if he's playing with guys with the finishing touch, which he has been, he hasn't been producing that much. Maybe throughout the rest of the season, if he happens to show me that and other Leafs fans that he can produce and get those numbers as well, as well as instead of just offensive scoring chances that lead to nothing, uh, he, he's got to put some numbers in the back of the net in order to prove that he can be a top six forward and be a pivotal factor, say, if someone in the top six, ha- in the top six happens to uh, go down. And that's what I was really uh, debating in my mind as well. Uh, we haven't seen any production from him. Obviously, with his fourth line minutes, it's a little bit harder to get some production, especially with the talent he's surrounded with. But we're seeing him now playing on the uh, second line. Uh, there hasn't been too much production, really, from him. Obviously, he's playing with skill. Uh, if he's passing the puck and he's playing with goal scorers like uh, Nylander and Tavares, uh, the the puck should be going in the net if he's going to really, if he is going to make a big difference in the playoffs. And I'm going to ask you this final question before we uh, move on to our next topic. Is there anyone else besides Robertson that the Leafs can turn to in a top six role come playoff time? I would love to see Adam Brooks. Uh, definitely impressed me so far. Um, at times, he can seem invisible, but that's just because of his low playing time. Uh, in the time that he has been on the ice, he's been quite amazing. Like, to, to from the short sample size that we've seen, he has produced some points, not a whole lot, but he has produced some points in the limited playing time that he's got playing in a bottom six role. I'd like to see him given a shot in a top six role if injuries happen to play out. However, if not, uh, and Adam Brooks, then a Pierre Engvall may be jumping up there because he also creates scoring chances and maybe playing with some elite skill rather than uh, good skill could jumpstart him and maybe get a couple points on the board for him instead of a third line role. And uh, the, the best thing for the Maple Leafs right now is the only thing that's really going to have to go for them is that they're lucky uh, from in respect from other teams. They have uh, lots of pieces that they can move around and lots of pieces and guys, uh, no matter the age, that can really step up and play no matter every position uh, on the ice. But now still on the topic of playoff hockey, the big question and what we will be talking about in the next couple of weeks leading up to the final clinchings of the division, who are the Leafs going to face? Now, with most teams, teams reaching the final three weeks of the season, the playoff picture and who's in, who's out, is starting to take formation. The Maple Leafs, from their perspective, are readying themselves for a date with their biggest rivals in the Montreal Canadiens for the preliminary round of playoff hockey. Now, putting the Leafs' first-round playoff streak aside, and I really don't want to open that can of worms either because, again, there's going to be a screaming match between me and probably myself as well. But uh, putting that streak aside, the team likely standing... Uh, the team likely standing in their way is known to pack their greatest punch come the postseason. We saw firsthand what they did last year to the Penguins, who were easily the favorites in the matchup. And you can rewind the tape even further to pick out more dominant series in the playoffs uh, directed from the Habs. Uh, and listen, I'm not going to compare regular season stats, numbers, records, etc., anything else, to the playoffs as there is simply no equivalent. As the playoffs are, as we have always discussed on the show, a different monster. The Habs, the Habs have improved on D immensely and are contenders for the best defensive core in the game right now. I think we can all agree on that uh, in the show right here. Uh, and with Price hot, the goaltending is more than there for the Blue Blanc and Rouge. Uh, the offense is less skilled and evenly spread out, which uh, does have the potential to wear down the opposition. But obviously, compared to the Leafs, not too much uh, top six skill and uh, top end hockey talent. But uh, my big question is, would you rather see the Leafs play another team besides the Habs for the preliminary round of the playoffs? And if so, why? Uh, what's the Habs' secret weapon, or do they even have a secret weapon? And I'm really ready to hear Ibonis. Probably I'm, I'm anticipating a big straightforward answer from him. But I'm going to start this one off with you, uh, Aiden. Do the Leafs? Do you think the Leafs have the best chance of going past the first round with a uh, matchup against the Habs, or would you rather see it against another team? Uh, I think I'd rather see the Leafs play the Edmonton Oilers just because of how well they've matched up against them this season. I mean, especially in that two-game stint where the Leafs shut out the Oilers twice in a row, I think the team was really able to come together at that time, and they really played a complete, well-rounded game. If that same dominating play comes back out from the team in the playoffs, I don't really think even McDavid and Dreisaitl, probably the best duo in the league, will be able to stop them. Uh, in terms of the Habs' secret weapon, I think if we're talking about playoff performers, it's got to be Corey Perry. 
I mean, this is a guy who's won a cup before and he's made it to the finals last year. And in both instances, Perry was a big part of both those teams and their success. And he's definitely a guy who can turn on the extra burners when he wants to. But I think the teams might still be overlooking him and undervaluing his role as a part of the Montreal Canadiens organization. So for that reason, I think he's definitely got to be their secret weapon. And I'm really surprised to say the least about uh, your choice of the secret weapon. Obviously, it makes perfect sense. We saw it last year with him and with Dallas uh, having a terrific playoff run and played a large role in why the Habs signed him uh, in the offseason this year. Uh, but I thought you were going to go, and maybe Iboni, you might pull this one up as well, towards Carey yeah. Price. I mean, he's been uh, absolutely red hot when it comes to playoff time. He's always al- always stood in his head against the opposition. I remember the save last year that he made. I believe it was against uh, the Penguins, I want to say, or the Flyers. I, I can't remember yes. who it was. It was a stick save. He wasn't even looking at the net. He just makes... Oh, that was the Flyers. I guess the Flyers. So, I, that, okay, I'm not going crazy here. But, uh, yeah, he always comes up making big saves in the playoffs. So, in my in my opinion, I think they he would have to be their secret weapon to be in the Maple Leafs. Obviously, we know how the Leafs... Uh, I, I said we were going to look at their uh, past experience in the first round, but they're always going against a hot goaltender. You can never simply beat a hot goaltender. So, in my opinion, I would obviously agree with you, Aiden. Rather see a uh, Edmonton Oilers series... Uh, I see this as a less likely idea coming with the final stretch of the year, maybe a Jets leaf series. That's possibly in the bag for the second round. But uh, before I get too ahead of myself here, I'm going to turn this one over to you, Iboni. Who would you rather want to face in the playoffs or would you just want to stick with the Habs and get to them first? Uh, I have to agree with Aiden. I'm going to say the Edmonton Oilers, their lack of goaltending and uh, not successful defense is uh, an easier route for the Leafs to take, whereas the Habs obviously have their amazing defense and their solid goaltender in the uh, in the playoffs. And playing the Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs would be an easier route, especially because we've proved that we can shut down their two offensive threats of McDavid and Dreisaitl. Uh, Muzzin and Hall have been incredible by shutting them down every single time that they've played. And well, almost every single time. I'm not going to say every single time because they did have a couple games where they were a little bit dominant. But for the most part, I mean, the Leafs were are six one and one against the Edmonton Oilers this season, which is just outrageous. Uh, just goes to show how two players cannot carry your franchise to uh, winning series, winning a series. And uh, I, I know I said I wasn't going to compare regular season stats to playoff stats, and I'm going to stick with my word here, but. If you go look at the Oilers' playoff stats over the last couple of years, uh, has McDavid made it to a conference final at all in his career? The best player on earth right now in the International Hockey League. Don't think he's played to, uh, made it to a conference final. Maybe he has once in his career, his rookie season or someone like that. But uh, the Edmonton Oilers uh, simply don't have uh, the depth, the goaltending, and simply the defense to wear down an opponent for this year. And uh, I think that's a more favorable thing for the Leafs, obviously they've exposed it uh, throughout this entirety of the season. You mentioned they were, I believe, 6-1 and one against uh, the Oilers. 6-1-1 six, one and one. One against the Oilers this season. So they definitely have their number now. That doesn't mean too much come playoff time, but it's definitely something to look at as all we have. And again, the Edmonton Oilers' lack of uh, success in the playoffs, uh, it's going to, I think it can haunt them, just like it's always been haunting the Leafs. Uh, the Leafs obviously always failed to get past the first round. And the Oilers, unfortunately for them, are in the same boat as well. So uh, I think I'm going to agree with both of you here. I think the Oilers is the best option for the Maple Leafs to face. I don't want to face a team like the Habs simply because they just tend to wear you down. And it's, it's easier to go against a team with uh, less great defensive performances and inconsistent goaltending rather than a goaltender that's red hot and defense that is just almost perfect and uh, sits at the top of the league in respect to a defensive game who can just simply shut you down whenever they take the lead. But uh, making its debut on the show and moving on to the uh, biggest, or sorry, the start bench cut segment of our show. Now, this is probably going to be a segment we stick with going forward. Uh, We're going to obviously starting, it is a Leafs line podcast in the name, but uh, we're going to probably be moving forward and including other players around the league who would you rather start bench or cut. So making its debut is this new segment. uh, And by the name, this is how it works. You hold three players, and you start one, you bench one, and you cut one if you were asked to. And say you're the head coach or general manager of a team. 
So on this Leafs edition of Start Bench Cut, our focus is centered around three players in a playoff series. And I make this, I'm going to make this pretty clear how they would play in a playoff series, likely to be the preliminary one. Who do you start bench cut out of these three players? Simmons, Thornton, and Engvall. Now, to give our listeners some context, Engvall has eight points through 35 games on bottom six lineup. Uh, Simmons has the same point total in 26 games and has dealt with a hand injury that sidelined him for 20 games uh, or so. I'm not too sure the exact number here. And, of course, the final contestant on this segment of the show, Jumbo Joel Thornton, who holds 12 points through 32 games this season. However, hasn't recorded a point since March 13th, which was an apple against the Jets. I'm going to start with you, Iboni. Who do you think, or simply put, who would you start, bench, and cut out of these three players? Uh, the only correct answer is you start Engvall, you bench Simmons, and you cut Thornton. Uh, simply because Engvall can be a penalty killer, which is huge, because it also takes the responsibility away from uh, another penalty killer who could be used in a different role, more 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 five-on-five ice time instead of having to kill penalties, and you keep their energy strong. Plus, Engvall has energy. He can produce on a line. Uh, not too much offensive numbers, but he's been playing on a third-slash-fourth line role for majority of the season, uh, still as a fairly young gun in the uh, Leafs organization. But I still think that he has potential to step it up. Uh, he's definitely been driving the play. He has been producing scoring chances, just hasn't been able to really find an answer Uh if given the right circumstances, he definitely can find the right answer. Uh, as for benching Simmons, you have an offensive prowess who can put up points. Uh, I think most of his points are on the power play, I think. I uh, could be wrong on that, but definitely has grit that we need. Uh, almost a Zach Hyman-like player, except he doesn't produce as much points. Uh, if given a higher role, maybe he can get back into that. But with that wrist injury, it might be a little bit tough for him to uh, find his ground again. And Joe Thornton, I think it's just self-explanatory. You play the players that are good. The player that is not good right now, give him a break. He's 40 years old. I think he might be 41. But he's in his 40s for sure. Uh, Give the guy a break. Like, this guy hasn't gotten a point since March 13th. You play the guys that are good. Now, uh, the the thing of the show is that it's – sorry, the segment, rather. Uh, It's it's, – there's no wrong answer here, obviously. It's very opinion-based. And uh, I want to ask you this. Uh, I, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I think it's uh, obviously you want Engvall in there simply because he does provide you more options and a bigger role, a more expandable role with this squad come uh, playoff series. But obviously Dubis brought Thornton in to add a bit more physicality and most of all, deep playoff experience. Now, does this, uh, this sort of factor change your, uh, uh, your order of which you put these players in? Or do you still think ride the hot hand uh, that's what's going to make the biggest difference come playoff time, especially with this Maple Leafs team. You're right at the hot hand. You're not going to play someone who's not producing. If you got a player who's going to produce, if you put him in a lineup and he's going to produce, you put that player in. If you're going to have a player that's just sit- sitting there and produces energy for you, uh, you can put him on the bench. He can coach you from the sidelines. He can coach you from the stands and the locker room. Uh, you need those players to put up those numbers. You cannot just have someone who's just a cheerleader. Uh, you got to have someone putting up numbers for you. Otherwise, your team will not win the game. You can have as much spirit as you want, but if you're not producing, you're not winning. And I have, I have to agree on you that. I'd, I'd say the same thing, ride the hot hand. Uh, it's the same thing with goaltending. It's going to be the same thing with who's producing at that time. And uh, obviously, you can still get the playoff experience and the teaching from both the uh, sidelines, like you mentioned, and in the dressing room, I think that will play a big part uh, in respect to uh, Joe Thornton and some of the younger guys on this team. And I'm going to even pull out Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, Nylander's name, who uh, this core group of guys hasn't really had too much uh, far playoff experience with this club. Uh, but I'm going to turn this question over to you, Aiden. Uh, in a playoff series, most likely going to be the preliminary one, the preliminary playoff series, uh, who would you start bench cut out of these three players? Uh, in respect to Simmons, uh, Thornton, and Pierre Engvall. Well, my answer is going to be similar to Iboni's, but I'm going to have to go with start Simmons, bench Engvall, and cut Thornton. Uh, I think Simmons is starting to get back into the rhythm that we saw before his injury. Uh, I really like the speed that he's been showing. 
his shot is looking great. And overall, I like the progress he's been making right now. And in a playoff series, I think Simmons, he's an aging veteran. I think he's a guy who would leave it all on the ice, especially since he's went, trying to win the cup. Uh, for Engvall, uh, he's always a speed threat. He's got a good shot, but he doesn't really use it that much. I think he struggles a little bit with his puck handling, and that really hurts him, especially on odd man rushes. And then for Thornton, I think he's just looked not good at all on the ice recently. I think he might be trying to do too much because I've noticed he's messing up a lot of these easy passes, and sometimes he looks a bit lost. I think with better options, Thornton just can't stay in the lineup, especially since we don't even know how much more he can give. Yeah, and Thornton, obviously the play that he's been producing and the level of points or lack thereof that he's been uh, uh, incapable of uh, providing for this team, uh, it's uh, it's definitely been something to, to raise your eyebrows on and definitely something that can't uh, ha- we, that at least can't have come playoff time. Everyone's going to be firing in all cylinders. And uh, you can't just win a playoff series with one guy uh, uh, taking the entire workload. So I'd have to agree on that as well. Uh, obviously, no wrong answers in start bench cut segments. Uh, strictly opinion based, and at the end of the day, a lot of fun. Moving on to our next segment here, uh, the biggest—not really a segment, but more of our topic here—the biggest impact to their new team with a week of games played for most of the notable players that found fresh scenery on deadline day last week. Many have uh, casted headlines and have looked like different players in their new threads and with their new linemates, uh, like uh, different players. Uh, making most of the noise, both at the deadline and a week later, is Anthony Mantha and Jacob Vrana, both recording multi-point games in their respective debuts. Another player is like Taylor Hall, who has matched his goal total in Buffalo in sadly just three games with his new club uh, and has led many naive Bruins fans, and yes, I'm going to pick on you Bruins fans because I've been picked on so many times in the past, uh, to believe that he has restored his MVP season. Now, uh, waiting to make their full appearances... Is a guy like Nick Foligno, Eric Gustafsson, uh, both, arri- both arriving to the North Division last week and wrapping up their respective seven-day quarantines this week. Both questions being quickly answered and questions still yet to be asked. But I'm the host here, and I'll stick to asking you guys the questions. And this one is a pretty straightforward one. I'm going to start with you, Aiden, uh, to kick this uh, part of the show off. Who has made the biggest impact with their new club, and what has contributed to their renewed success? I'm going to have to go with uh, Anthony Mantha. We were just talking about his trade on Tuesday in the uh, trade deadline podcast. I think everyone was talking about how much of a steal it was for Detroit, which uh, I still do think it is a steal for them since of, since uh, the value they got from Mantha. But he's been making an impact right off the bat for the Caps. He's got five points in his first four games with the Caps, four, four goals and an assist. Uh, like I said, he's been making – big impact on in the top six and on the second power play and he's just really brought a whole new level of dominance to the Caps offense which we've never really seen before obviously it's got to be the line mates who Mantha is surrounded by which have contributed to his success as being on a line with Batstrom who's an amazing playmaker and Oshi a fellow goal scorer himself and obviously Ovi one of the generation's best goal scorers I think Mantha is finally playing with the talent he deserves and which he was not getting in Detroit. And uh, we obviously got into the discussion of who won that trade. Obviously, time will still tell who won that trade uh, because picks are involved as well. But uh, definitely something to look forward to. And Mantha obviously making big headlines early on. And the return's looking pretty good uh, for the Washington Capitals. I'm going to turn this one over to you, Iboni. Which player, in your opinion, has made the biggest impact uh, with their new club? And uh, what do you think in their game has contributed uh, to their successes in an inside factor, outside factor, or simply because they're playing with better line mates? Mm, I really thought Aiden was going to take Taylor Hall, so I had Mantha all written up, but that's all good. I have more over here. I might take an underdog here. I'm going to go with uh, uh, Brandon Montour. Definitely uh, impactful. He's played in two games so far with the Florida Panthers. He's in a pretty big role. Uh, I believe he's a uh, top pair or second pairing on the Florida Panthers. Uh, in two games so far, he's gotten a goal, and he's a plus five, which is not really an amazing stat to look at, but uh, he's been on the ice for five goals and uh, definitely improving his team on the blue line. He's looked 
pretty solid in the teams, and I've watched I've watched both of those games. He's looked amazing in his own end, uh, definitely driving the play, and looks like he's a real offensive threat, which is definitely not what he looked like uh, playing for the Buffalo Sabers, uh, driving the play, um, getting more points than he. Look, he looks like he could be getting more points than what he usually does because his prowess on the ice is just absolutely dominant. Uh, I've lost a few games uh, from him in Buffalo as well, and he's just not looked nearly as good as how he's been playing in Florida. And with the injury of Ekblad, it's definitely crucial for Brandon Montour to step up. Uh, I believe he's playing with um, Mackenzie Weger or a Keith Yandel. Uh, but he's definitely playing a much more pivotal role in Florida than he would be in Buffalo. And we're going to see uh, what these players are going to do come playoff time. Uh, and we'll, that's going to be probably, in my opinion, the biggest test and testament to which team came away with this trade and uh, which team just simply fell uh, for the short-term uh, aspect of these trades. Uh, obviously, there's been so many deals that uh, struck last week and uh, – Depending on who you say, uh, Taylor Hall was another great pick who has uh, really been has found his uh, rhythm that he sort of had a few years ago with the uh, New Jersey Devils when he won the heart. Uh, he's playing with better players. Obviously, it's easy to do that when you've been playing for Buffalo for the past few season, uh, the past season and uh, definitely stepping up. And that would be probably my guy who's been playing uh, well with his new squad. And I think uh, the, his line mates. And just a new set of scenery, obviously being in a turmoil uh, state like Buffalo in respect to their hockey club, he was part of the team that lost 18 straight. So that's definitely demoralizing to say the least. So uh, on a successful team like the Bruins, definitely a better thing for him. And I think he's uh, has had and is going to con- continue to make a uh, big impact uh, further on in the season. Now we're going to skip over the Canucks uh, segment of the show simply because uh, we're running a little... Uh, short on time, but we're going to skip towards the Patrick Marlowe. Uh, following his last night, uh, last night, his appearance last night, the former Leaf and Mr. Shark Patrick Marlowe has tied Gordie Howe's all-time games played record with his 1,767th career game played. Uh, the Wild, which were his opponent last night, commemorated him uh, and his milestone by shaking his hand prior to puck drop. A really classy and touching move to see. Uh, from a hockey fan standpoint. Uh, in his 23rd season, and at the age of 41, Marlowe has set the top of the record tomorrow night against the Golden Knights, uh, the, the newest active franchise in the league, which is quite ironic to say the least. Uh, the contest will also mark Marlowe's 899th consecutive appearance, sitting one shy of his 900th consecutive game played, which is the fourth longest streak in league, league history. Through 23 seasons, Marlowe has registered 1,196 career points during his time with the Pens, Leafs, and, of course, the San Jose Sharks. He becomes a UFA at the end of the year, and uh, he is likely to either retire or remain in San Jose. And I've heard many for him coming back to the Leafs. Uh, I strongly doubt that one. I think he's a shark for life. And, uh, obviously, the team loves him. The fan loves him. Loves him. And, of course... He loves, it. he loves playing there, as you can see with his career points. But I'm going to ask this question, and I asked it last week in respect to Campbell's historic 11-0 start, and we're ranked among, amongst other NHL records. Uh, Aiden, you said Campbell's record topped the rest. Iboni, you said the goals record is the hardest to accomplish. But does Marlowe's record hold any water to any other record in the hockey world? I'm going to start with you, Iboni. What are your thoughts on uh, this record by Andrew Marlowe? Uh, this I would take games played over goals any day only because and goalie stats only because uh, in order to have a thousand seven hundred and sixty seven games played like Patrick Marlowe does, you need to be good and you need to be good for a long time. Uh, Patrick Marlowe was drafted in 1997. He's been playing in this league for more than 20 years, which is insane. It's insane to think uh, he's had to be incredible for more than 20 years of his life. And he has been. He's gotten uh, 1,196 points in his 1,767 games, which is incredible. This guy's about to break the NHL record for most games played. And and NHL's been around for, uh, what is it, 104 years? I think it's 104. 104 or 116. It's something like that. It's in the 100s. But of all those players that have ever played in the NHL, this one player who's played in the league for more than 20 years, 
has the most games that have ever been played. And he's on also almost a 900 game consecutive games played streak, which is unreal. So this guy also has to stay healthy. As a 41-year-old, he has to stay healthy. It's just it's incredible. It's, it's more valuable than goals because in the process of getting those games played, you have to get those goals. You have to get those assists and get those point totals up as well. Yeah, I'm going to turn this one over to you, Aiden, before I uh, get into my discussion uh, about Patrick Marlowe. So uh, feel free to say whatever you need about the uh, uh, the uh, this this record and how it compares to other records here in the NHL. I think Marlowe's record definitely does hold in compared to those other records. I think being able to play that many games, a lot of things have to go right for you. Obviously, you can't be injury prone. And like I've only said, you have to continuously play at a high level in order to stay in the lineup that long. And obviously, you've got to really love the game to be able to play it for that long. I think, however, this record is less about skill and more about luck and how well you take care of yourself more than anything. Not to take anything away from Patty Marlowe or Gordie Howe, both were amazing hockey players. And I'm just saying that records for goals, points, wins, those all take a continuous high level of play. And for those records, you most likely have to be either the number one goal scorer on your team and in the in the league, either the best point getter in the league or the number one goalie in the league. Whereas if you're going for most games played, you just have to secure your spot in the lineup for a very long time. Yeah, there's one thing securing your spot in the lineup for a very long time. There's another thing continuing to produce at a decent-sized uh, margin uh, in the lineup whenever you step on the ice. And I think that's what Patrick Marlowe's done. I'm going to say my opinion on this. Let's share my piece. I think it's the uh, best record in hockey. Uh, he's 41 years old, guys. I mean, like, you don't see a lot of 41-year-olds even being able to lace up skates, uh, let alone going on the ice and skating. Uh, Gordie Howe played till he was 50 and accomplished this. Patrick Marlowe accomplished in his 23rd season at 41, which is, quite frankly, ridiculous if you ask me. Obviously, a lot easier to do uh, because you're not having to score so many points. And there is a lot of luck that comes in there. But it's all, it all goes down to how he takes care of himself. And uh, Patrick Marlowe is just a statement to not just this game, but sports in general. And just shows uh, how long this sport really lives into someone and how long one can really play this sport and still remain effective, which is why I believe this record doesn't simply compare to any of the rest. Now I'm going to flip this over to our, probably our favorite segment of the show, our hot take segment here. Uh, last week, uh, you both, you Aiden and Iboni uh, gave your share of hot takes. Uh, I didn't give uh, one since I was, uh, I just couldn't simply find one. I mean, there was just teams in so many different areas. Uh, it was such a kind of a quiet period in the national hockey league. Uh, so I kind of sat out for that one, but I'm making a return uh, for this week. And I think I'm going to start it off uh, for this segment of the show. Now, my hot take, probably one of my bigger ones. Uh, I don't think I've had one hot take come true yet. So maybe this one should hit uh, the Bruins miss out on the playoffs this season. Now, uh, prior to the, their win to, uh, today, they sit in the final spot in the East Division with 54 points through 42 outings. Uh, the Rangers, who sit on the Bruins' tail, hold 50 points through 44 games played. So the Bruins have more points and two more games in hand. And, you, and so you may be thinking, Mario, you're crazy. And I'd have to say, after grinding MLB the show for three days straight, I'd say you're absolutely right. Uh, but the Rangers, who are known to score in bunches, uh, have games against the Sabres and Flyers, two teams that have been in the mud, if you will, and have played bad hockey throughout the second half of the season. Uh, they have their final two games in respect to the Rangers on the road in Boston in a, in a series that I think will dictate who goes in and who's going golfing uh, by the end of the season. If Panera keeps lighting the lamp, picking up apples, and the goaltending stays hot in New York, I can see the Rangers return to the postseason picture for a second straight year. And I can maybe see, as of right now, possibly my hot take coming to fruition. Uh, it's uh, something to look out for. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of ifs. We say this all the time, especially in respect to Ibonis. It wouldn't be a hot take without any ifs. And uh, maybe I can overthrow Aiden and take home the uh, name for uh, the Wizard. But uh, turning this one over to Aiden, the Wizard, what do you have for your hot take? And I'm sure it's not as crazy as both me and my hot take. 
Go on. Well, it's kind of similar to yours in the sense that it does involve the Rangers. My hot take is that Artemi Panarin catches Leon Draisaitl for second in the league for NHL points. Uh, now, before I just get into this hot take, I just want to say this is not made to put down Draisaitl or the offensive powerhouse, which is the Edmonton Oilers. It's simply made to show how good the Rangers and Panarin have been offensively. So, getting into the stats, Panarin has 52 points in 33 games after tonight's game against the Devils, as he did miss 10 games due to the allegations made against him earlier on in the year. And he's second in the league currently for points per game, only to McDavid, and second in the league for assists per game, again, only to McDavid. Dreisaitl has 63 points in 42 games to this point, so he does have quite a substantial lead still, but... It was actually a lot larger before when Panarin uh, had just came back. So to get into the scheduling, the Oilers are actually playing four times against the Habs, a team which has had their number this season, only losing one game against them so far in the season series, and it was played very well defensively to shut down the Oilers' superstars. As well, they have a few more games against the Flames, which are bound to be tight matchups with the playoffs inching closer and closer. And they have a couple of games against the Jets, which should also be relatively close games. Both teams are fighting for higher seeding. For the Rangers scheduling, I say it's relatively easy. They have two games against both the Flyers and the Sabres. Sabres, we already talked about them a lot. Their season has been uh, quite awful, and the Flyers have been not that much better with their terrible goaltending to this point. Uh, Other than that, they have a few games against the Islanders, Caps, and Bruins, so I could definitely see the Rangers and Panarin having – success against those guys. So overall, I'd say that combined with the great offensive talent and easier schedule, I think Panarin has a very good chance of catching Leon Dreisaitl. And I wouldn't be complaining at all if I saw Breadman catch up to uh, a division opponent like Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, I've always been a fan of Panarin. I've loving, I've always loved his playmaking skill and also his ability to put the puck in the back of the net. Dreisaitl is no different. Uh, he's a different breed as he is compared to uh, Panarin. And uh, I can't see the scheduling uh, being a big factor. And one thing that the Trisol has abused, and the Oilers as well, and that has taken advantage of this year, uh, matchups against the uh, Senators. I, th- I believe they went a mere perfect record against the Senators this year uh, with McDavid and Drysail respectively tearing up the uh, young Ottawa Senators team. So uh, I can t- definitely see uh, Panarin catching up. And, uh, wow, I'm kind of surprised at this uh, – Less spicy hot take you deliver, but I know if I want the spiciest meatball in town, I go over to Michael Iaboni's statements here. Iaboni, what do you have in store for us this week? And I'm sorry to break it to you, but uh, Allmark did not make it to the Maple Leafs team. But uh, I don't know, does your hot take until this for next year? Uh, Which direction are you going to be going for this week? Uh, This one, I didn't make this meatball with enough chili powder. Um, But it does go along the routes of you guys. I definitely there's a nice comparison with the New York Rangers. Uh, so we all know the controversy between uh, Jack Hughes, sorry, Quinn Hughes is better than McCarr. McCarr is better than Hughes. Well, I'm here to tell you Adam Fox is better than both of them. Uh, at least in, at least in this season, uh, 2021, uh, Adam Fox has 40 points in 43 games this season uh, in comparison to Kale McCarr's 31 and 31 with his injury problems as well thus bringing him down. And obviously Quinn Hughes with the whole uh, also injury and also COVID has 28 and 37. Uh, Not only is Adam Fox spectacular in his own end, he has proven that he can put up points uh, offensively as well as even last year in 70 games, he had 42 points in those 70 games. He's proven that he can put up 40 points easily in his two seasons that he's played in the NHL. Um, arguably, I think that he's a top three defense, top three defenseman this year and a top five defenseman overall. He has moved up way up in his offensively, uh, minded defensive status. Uh, definitely top five for me. And this season I have him right underneath Victor Hedman and could potentially be a dark horse for a Norris trophy. Who knows? He definitely looks like he is a candidate for it. Uh, in retrospective, uh, Kale McCarr and his injury problems have really weighed him down 
he has been looking quite amazing in the games that he has been playing. You can't bring that down on him, but definitely those injuries took him down a notch and allowed Adam Fox to really uh, stride and bloom and tower over uh, McCarr this season. And Quinn Hughes, uh, not really much of a question. I just wanted to bring in that debate again about McCarr and Hughes. Uh, Hughes hasn't been all that great this season. He's been okay, but he's definitely been battling some injury and some uh, COVID struggles with the Canucks and that whole situation down over there. Um, but Adam Fox has been absolutely spectacular this year in both ends of the ice. On um, At the start of the season, definitely on a struggling Rangers team, but the Rangers look like absolute dominant team right now. If they've been scoring everywhere from everyone, uh, and Adam Fox has been just a massive contributor to that. Therefore, he's top three in the league at the moment and uh, slipped into a top five overall. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, when I first heard this, uh, what you just said about Adam Fox, uh, I, I was debating on sending your hot take recipe to the uh, hottest chili competition in town because you would most definitely win there. But after hearing a little bit more on it and doing some research while you were speaking myse- uh, myself, uh, I just found this out. Uh, Adam Fox here. Uh, matched his is well, I guess one point away of matching his point total from last year when he almost played nearly double the amount of games. Now uh, it's he's been spectacular, spectacular to say the least for the Rangers this season. Probably their uh, best defenseman by far uh, on their squad, uh, and has really uh, put his name and thrown his uh, hat in the ring in discussion for not just Norris uh, caliber players, but top defensemen in in this entire National Hockey League. And a top def- defenseman to come. He's only 23 years of age, so he's definitely got potential here. And the Rangers definitely got something cooking with this guy. And it's it's gonna even impact their. Uh, obviously, the Rangers are known for their uh, scoring in bunches, their big offensive uh, showing. If uh, if Adam Fox can uh, help it out on the uh, defensive side of things, and he does own a plus 22 uh, on last year and a plus 20 this year as well, so uh, it's not too bad on the defensive side. But uh, definitely been a uh, force to reckon with. And, uh, yeah, he's uh, he just puts up points. And this season, I don't know how many points McCarr has. Uh, Hedman, I think, is favored to win the Norris. I mean, McCarr is 31. Uh, yeah, Adam Fox yeah. is 10 more. I'd say points-wise, obviously, you got Adam, you go Adam Fox. And I'd say this year's, uh, this year's season of play, Still go Adam Fox. So, yeah, I think you've hit on this hot take here. I'd have to agree with you here. I don't know about Aiden. Aiden, would you agree with uh, Michael Iaboni's evaluation of Adam Fox and his rankings of Adam Fox? Yeah, I think really the biggest thing that has happened this year is just he's been seeing a lot more ice time. As last year he was a rookie, he wasn't on the top power play as Tony D'Angelo was manning it at that time, which we even saw. He had a lot of success. So I think pretty much the same thing that happened to D'Angelo last year is happening with Fox here. He's just been tearing it up, producing at an insane rate, and uh, he's just been a really good defenseman for the Rangers. And let's hope Adam Fox doesn't follow the same route as Tony D'Angelo, who I believe still finds himself unable to find a National Hockey League club to uh, lace the skates for. But uh, concluding this hot take segment of the show, we're going to move on to the final segment here, Aiden's Fantasy Rankings. And Aiden, what do you have to bring for me, most specifically, and as well, uh, the fans and listeners of the show. For the biggest time, it's, it's your time to shine here, and you got to really step up for our listeners here about uh, playoff pickups, I guess you should call them. Uh, most seasons are ending this week uh, in many NHL uh, fantasy pools. So who do you got making the big headlines and impacts this week, this upcoming week, for uh, people's fantasy squads? Well, first off, we got Josh Norris of the Ottawa Senators. He's got six points in his last four games and 27 so far this season. He's been really the backbone of the Ottawa of Ottawa's success recently, specifically their offensive success, especially on the power play where he has points in four straight games on the man advantage. Uh, I'd say he's a very well-rounded peripheral stat player in the sense that he doesn't hit that often, but also isn't a very high-volume shooter. He should get you a really even amount of both shots and hits. Currently, he is 11% owned on Yahoo and 18% owned on ESPN. Next player I've got on this list is Devin Dubnik of the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, with both Grubauer out with COVID-19 and Frank Kuz out for the season with a lower body injury, 
Dubnik is now the number one option for the Avalanche. And now Dubnik didn't have the best debut for his team as he did give up three goals, but he still pulled away with the victory, which is the most important thing. I think going forward, Dubnik should be a lock for wins and overall should have at least have an average save percentage and goals against average. Since he is a playing since he's playing for a team that allows the least amount of shots in the league and has the second least goals allowed in the league. Currently he is thirty-eight percent owned on Yahoo and seventeen percent owned on ESPN. The third guy I have on this list is Dmitry Orlov of the Washington Capitals. Uh, currently he's on a five game point streak consisting of two goals and three assists, which is likely due to the Capitals insane scoring rate which they are on at the moment. Uh, he's playing top pairing minutes with John Carlson and occasionally sees time on the power play like we are seeing recently. Uh, he's a very good peripheral staff player as he can be relied on to put up around two shots and two hits a game with 60 shots and 70 hits on the season so far. Currently, he is 20% owned on Yahoo and 22% owned on ESPN. The final guy I have on this list is Casey Middlestat of the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, this season has undoubtedly been a season to forget for the Sabres, but one of the few bright spots has actually been Casey Middlestat. He's been benefiting significantly, significantly from an increased ice time role as he has gone from averaging just over 12 minutes a game to now over 16 minutes a game. How much has he been benefiting? Well, he went from five points through 18 games to now nine points in his last 11 games. And he's also seen a jump in his peripherals, averaging just over two shots a game now, as opposed to just over one previously. Currently, he is 19% owned on Yahoo and 7% owned on ESPN. And Aiden, you uh, haven't really missed too much. I've been keeping count more specifically on my team, and uh, you've paid much, uh, much of my success can be credited towards you, so I thank you for that. And I'm hoping much of our listeners' success come this playoff time where it does mean the most, uh, which we've been preparing for as fantasy owners all year for. Uh, hopefully these pickups, and I have no doubt in you, can really help everyone out who listens. But uh, obviously the Maple Leafs are looking like the, they're going to lay an Easter egg here against the uh, uh, Vancouver Canucks who haven't played in a month as it's 2-2 and maybe heading into overtime. A goal is under review for the Maple Leafs. But uh, other than that, we'll discuss it next week and concluding episode 10 of the Leafs Line podcast. Uh, thank you all the listeners for tuning in. Uh, I can't believe we're at 10 episodes. It's been a great ride. Uh, So fun doing this show week in, week out uh, with these guys. I want to thank Aiden Aiden McCullough, Michael Iboni for joining me. And uh, I'll see you on the next show coming next Sunday. Same time probably in the release, but.